is such a special place and the, the spirit alive in this place, no, there's no question. We um, didn't really compare notes, but how things have tied together this morning is really quite remarkable. We mentioned, I, I'm Fraser, and many of you may know I'm a chaplain in Poole Hospital. I had the, the privilege this week of journeying with Derek and being with him, and it's good to be able to say to you that his ending was peaceful. He was aware, we spoke of faith, we spoke of his, he knew his passing was coming, and he was at, at peace, and that was really wonderful for him. He actually looked healthier and better than I'd seen him in a long time. And I think uh, if that uh, brings a sense of peace and hope, uh, it uh, really was uh, a blessing for him at the end, and I know for Patricia as well. That's so much a part of my work is wor uh, with people who are dying. Um, that's the nature of chaplaincy in hospitals. Uh, I mentioned to someone a little earlier, at any given time, any hour of the day, any day of the week, there are on average 30 people who are dying in Poole Hospital. Yeah, that, when I first realized that, what a shock. So uh, oftentimes, I'll, I'll get there all day or night and the bleep goes off and we answer a call and we run. And on Thursday morning of this week, the bleep went off. I was called to a ward to be with a, an individual who was dying. And the family knew they were on their way, but they didn't know if they'd make it in time. And if they couldn't, they wanted to be assured that someone was there with their loved one. And as I entered the room, this woman took her last breaths and passed away very peacefully. And at that same moment, outside of the window, across Pool Harbor, the sun broke through the clouds, and there were these radiant beams of light shining down across Pool Harbor, and it was incredibly powerful. But what really struck me in that moment is the way that light shone through the window and gently bathed the face of that 96-year-old woman and a simple gold cross that she wore around her neck gleamed. It was so powerful. And the sense of peace that permeated that room in that moment was palpable. Now, I, I know that there are people who would say, oh, it's simply a visual effect of, you know, of uh, what, electromagnetic waves that are traveling at 186,000 miles per second, over 93 million miles uh, in eight and a half minutes from the sun to the earth. But boy, for me, there was something a lot more in the room than that. There was a sense of peace and... There was this, for me, a God-given message of hope. 
I share that because that's our theme this morning, and that's what I'm tasked with, is explaining hope. Now, is that even possible? How do you explain hope? It's like explaining love. We know it's real. We can feel it. But there's no chemical formula for love. There's no uh, scientific uh, explanation for love. There's no organ, one organ even, that's responsible for love. Think about it. We, we associate it with the heart. But the ancient Romans used to associate it with the liver. Think of that on Valentine's Day this year. <laughs> but the power's there. We might not be able to explain it, but the power's there. Now, maybe this will help as well. Also on Thursday morning, on my way to the hospital, I listened to Radio 4. You may have heard it as well. There was a physicist uh, being interviewed. He works in Switzerland at CERN with the Large Hadron Collider. He's involved in this project uh, uh, to uh, work out the theory of everything. You've heard about that one? Simple, isn't it? <laughs> the theory of everything. And he's explaining about their work and how the modeling of physics has advanced so, and there, our understanding of the universe, our knowledge has advanced so. And he, he was waxing on poetically about it, but if you know Radio 4, they're not going to let him get away with that for long. And the announcer very wryly threw a spanner into the works when he said, well, tell me about gravity. And there was this pause. Oh, problem. You see, gravity, and we, we know it's real, we can feel it, we uh, can measure it, but what I didn't realize is that science can't explain it. It doesn't fit into the models that we expect of the universe and the, to keep it together. And so science still struggles with this basic concept of gravity. And for me, that's helpful because that's like hope and the power of hope. We might not be able to explain it, but we can feel it. That power that keeps our universe together when everything else around us is failing. So with that in mind, I'm going to take us to our text this morning and start with this phrase, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now hold on to that one, because whenever Jesus was struggling, where did he turn? To his Father and ours. Boy, if that's not the lesson itself, we could probably end right there. Where did Jesus turn in his times of struggle? To his Father and ours. So from 1 Peter, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith 
are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a while, you may have had to suffer. Though now, for a while, you may have had to suffer. These are words from Peter, the apostle of hope, he's known as. He was writing at a time before A.D. 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem. We know that because he died in A.D. 64. We know because of that that the uh, great trials and tribulations, the organized persecution of the Christians hadn't really taken hold yet in the, uh, the Roman world. But at the same time, Christians were vulnerable. They were vulnerable because they were different. They chose a different path to worship a different God, to live in a different way. And because of that, they felt like foreigners in their own land. And sometimes they were. We know that Peter, in this case, was writing to the community in Asia Minor. We know it is Turkey today. And we know that the, those Christians were not full citizens under the protection of the law. And because of that, they could not inherit land. So think of what Peter wrote again for a moment. In his great mercy... God has given us an inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So Peter's message to that early Christian community, the suffering community, keep strong, maintain your faith, live in hope. Well, what kind of hope is he talking about? What kind of hope can keep them going in tough times? Well, to help to uh, demonstrate or remind us or think about this one again, I'm going to take you back in time to last summer and to an award, I'll say award-winning drama that was presented on this very stage for all of us, and it was depicting... Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we hear that at one time, they encountered a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit. And that spirit caused her to be able to tell the future. And she followed Paul and Cyrus. And she would shout out, these men are... No, sorry, excuse me. These men are... <laughs> The servants of the living God. These men are the servants of the living God. These men are the servants of the living God. Until such a point that Paul became so perturbed that he turned and he called out in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of that woman. And the spirit did. <laughs> and she was healed. It all seemed well, except for the owners of that slave girl. They lost their hope. 
Now hold on to that one for a moment. They lost their hope of making money. And so they dragged Paul and Cyrus to the marketplace. And before the magistrates, they exclaimed that these men are causing uproar in our society. They're not following our Roman rules and laws. And the crowds turned on them. And they began to boo. Boo. And they began to hiss. Hiss. And they began to boo and hiss. And the magistrates, they cast their verdict. And the verdict was that Paul and Cyrus should be stripped and beaten and thrown into prison. And so we hear that on that night, at about midnight, they were found in prayer. Now comes the test. They were found in prayer and singing. Row, row, row your boat gently down the street. Oh, you're laughing. Okay, you're laughing. Is that right? No, thank you. We've got a head shaking here. Now, as I said, this is a test. At about midnight, they were found in that prison praying and singing what? Hymns of praise. Exactly. Now, I don't know about you. Well, let's run through this one again. <laughs> They've been falsely accused, uh, stripped, beaten, thrown into prison. They don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, if they are going to be executed or released. Now, if that were you, <laughs> would you be singing hymns of praise? I don't know if I possess that kind of strength or hope. What would I be doing? What, what, what do you do when life's circumstances turn messy? Do you find yourself singing hymns of praise? <laughs> well, that's the challenge that we're looking at as a community at the Lantern for the next couple of weeks. We're looking at hope. Where does our hope come from? How can we nurture that hope? And what difference does, that, does hope make in our lives as Christians. So to try and take a look at that, maybe through a, a little different lens for a moment, I'd like to think about hope in relationship to joy. Now, a question. Is it possible for someone who does not know God in their lives to experience joy? Thank you. Yeah, the group this morning earlier just sat there. I don't know. That was a trick question or something? No. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, any, any uh, Bournemouth Cherry fans here? Yeah, exactly. I knew a hand to go up there. Last Sunday afternoon, right after your prayers, when you were listening to, <laughs> to the match, or maybe you were there, and when Bournemouth scored that second goal en route to defeating Arsenal for the first time in team history, did you sense joy in your heart? <laughs> Was there singing and dancing and hollering going on? I think so, in a lot of homes, absolutely. There was this sense of joy. And ladies, when, can you think back to when that man in your life proposed to you? And was there a sense of joy in your, <laughs> your heart? <laughs> 
<laughs> and was there, and was there singing and dancing and shouting? <laughs> I, I mean, by him. And then when you accepted, <laughs> our parents. What about when you attended your child's first music recital? <laughs> was there joy in your heart? <laughs> okay, you see the faces in that. Maybe not singing and dancing and, ho and hollering, but yet, I hope you get what I mean about that sense of joy. It's a, it's a universal human feeling. So what's the difference then between joy and hope? Hope for me is stronger because it's not based, it's not dependent upon circumstances. When circumstances change and the going gets rough, joy can disappear pretty quickly. Our hope hangs in there. And yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Second Corinthians. That's hope. Hope in tough times. That's the difference for me, is that our hope is deep, rooted in something deep. It maybe can't be explained or measured or seen, but we can feel it. We know it's real. And that hope is in God. I'm going to ask that question if there are ever times when, when you can struggle, struggle in your faith, when, you know, the, the, the winds of ill fate or health blow and your, your boat gets rocked. Well, if it happened to you, if it's ever happened to you, you're not alone. Think back to when the Disciples witnessed and were part of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember what happened right after that? They collected up 12 baskets full of food. They headed down to the Sea of Galilee. They got into a boat, and they headed off to sea with Jesus. And then we're told that a storm blew up, and the waves took over, and their boat was rocked, and they were fearful for their lives. <laughs> Stop for a moment. They just witnessed one of the greatest of miracles, and already we're being told that they're fearful for their lives. They'd lost sight of what had happened. Now, if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And that's okay, because there are lessons to be learned through it. There's ways forward. There are paths to be followed. So are there times when your life 
has ever been rocked? Your boat? Maybe by others? If you've ever felt betrayal? If you've ever been lied about? If you've ever gone through a breakdown in a relationship? Your boat can be rocked. Your world can be rocked. The very foundations that you stand on can be rocked. You ever felt that you've been hurt by God? I'm not sure. Is that sacrilege? Are you allowed to say that in church? Yeah. When those lip words come out, working as a chaplain in a hospital and dealing day in and day out with uh, some of the most traumatic things that can happen. When someone is told that their loved one has died, when someone's told that they, the bad news about their illness, their world can be rocked. God, where are you? financial distress, you can add to this list. You know them. God, where are you in my hurting? Times when you feel separated, a distance from God, or maybe even worse, when you feel that God is distant from you. What happens to us then as Christians? Because it does. As Christians, it'll happen. Or maybe it's, you find it harder to read your Bible and to pray. Maybe you find that then going to church becomes a, a chore. That being with other Christians doesn't quite have the same feeling, warm, cuddly feeling that it did before. As these things all happen, then you discover that your own sense of compassion begins to fade, and old sins can creep, creep back in. And it's hard, because you've gone from that mountaintop, and you're down in the depths of despair, the depths of suffering. And I wish I could stand here right now and say, oh yeah, but there's a, a light switch you can turn on, and, and you'll be right back on that mountaintop again. No, it's not the way it works. It's a process, and it can be slow, a lot slower than the decline, getting back up again. But there is a way. There's a tried and true and tested way that Christians have experienced and lived for centuries. And the good news is folk around you here, when you're in that depth of despair, can walk with you and show you and reaffirm for you that way as well. And it's this. Keep our hearts focused on Him and trust Him to help us. When everything else seems to be failing and you can't find your own strength and you can't find your own answers, keep your hearts focused on Him and trust Him to help. There's a professor... Um, of medicine at Harvard University. He wrote a book entitled The Anatomy of Hope. And he was asked for his definition of hope. And the way he responded, he said, 
hope is the ability to see a path to the future. Hope is the ability to see a path to the future. He says when you can manage that, just that, in the depth of despair, then you'll be amazed by this energy that comes to you. Now, he was writing this and speaking in medical terms as a scientist, but I got that. I said, isn't that what Peter's trying to say as well? That hope is a pathway, and we have that way. That way is through Jesus. When maybe we can't explain it. Maybe we, when we're at our, our depth of despair, we might even begin to lose the feeling. But if we can keep the trust, keep the hope, follow that path, then we're going to be okay. Do you remember when you were young and you were crossing the street with your parents and they would say, hold on to my hand? And you would. But if something frightened you or you you got way laid and you let go of their hand, even for a moment, it was okay because they we're still holding on to you. That's what Peter's trying to tell us about God as well. So often we think we have to hold on to God. But in reality, God is holding on to us. Always has been. Always will be. Thanks, Razor. Should we stand? <clears throat>